morning and welcome to HR Examiner's Executive Conversations. I'm your host, John Sumser, and today we're going to be talking with Ben Eubanks, who is Principal Analyst at Lighthouse Research and Advisory, and most importantly, the author of ebook on artificial intelligence for HR. So, Ben, how are you? Hey, John, I'm, I'm doing very well. Uh, looking forward to this conversation. It's going to be a lot of fun. Yeah, I think this will be fun, too. So would you take a moment and introduce yourself? You know, tell us how you got to where you are. A funny story about, about when you were a little kid dreaming about being an analyst in HR technology. Uh, like that. So that's actually very fitting for me. Um, when I was a kid, I wanted to be in HR, and I didn't know what it was called yet. But um, I was the holy older. Holy I, I knew you were strange, but what, you, you wanted to be in HR when you were a little kid. So you, you uh, I was the older middle child. Upbringing. I was, say, I, was the, I was the older middle child out of four boys. And so uh, I had none of the position authority of being the oldest, but I always had like broker deals and get things done. And so I felt like, like you know, there's a, there's a job for me in this in the future, right? And so got to college and found out there was a thing called HR and started studying that, realized that's what I'd always wanted to do. And so got my degree there, worked in HR for several years before I stepped out into the research side, started uh, doing the analyst thing and, and love that because half because I'm a little bit of a tech nerd, love to see what's going on with the technology, but also because I love researching, understanding what the best companies are doing and helping everybody else kind of pick up some of those ideas. Awesome. I've been doing, I, th- I think this is like the 300th interview that I've done on these radio shows. And this is the first time somebody said they wanted to be in HR. <laughs> Everybody else sort of fluked. So I'm delighted by that. So Lighthouse Research, what's that? So I spend my days at Lighthouse Research. Uh, this June actually makes three years that we've been in operation, and it has been, a, again, a ton of fun. Um, we spend our days researching the top trends in HR, town acquisition, learning development, understanding what the best companies are doing and helping everybody else to get some insights into how they can mimic some of those practices. Right? We've always heard, if you want to be great, do what the great people are doing. So we're trying to get some insights into those things. We also talk about the technology side too, though. We work with, sometimes we work with vendors in the space, on thought leadership, things like that. But I love just understanding those kinds of things. Again, that natural curiosity. You and I were chatting about that before the show started. Like We have this natural curiosity that we just want to know everything there is to know, and we can't. So that means it's kind of fun to prioritize which things we want to dig into and everything else. And that's what I get to do every day at my house. So what are you currently working on? That's, that's, a, that's a lot of generalities, but, <laughs> but what's, what are some of the current projects? So we just finished a report, uh, some research on reskilling and upskilling employees and surveyed about 1,000 learning development professionals and employees to understand their preferences, what they're seeing there. Um, a lot of, can't go really deep into that one necessarily, but there's a, there's a lot of focus on disruption, driving a need for upskilling and reskilling employees. About eight in 10 of those learning professionals said this is driving a real need for this in our company. We're seeing it already today. And one of the other fun questions we asked was, we asked both populations, what is the number one skill someone needs to be successful at work? And out of that, the number one skill for both groups, which was kind of fun to see they matched, was communication skills. But beyond that, a lot of the things that came out of it were around the soft skills piece, the things that transfer from job to job. You can do this in in different careers. This is going to follow you for a long time. And again, it wraps into the AI conversation we're going to have in a minute. But I love that focus on the soft skills piece we're actually, so that was one of the things we just finished, we're actually about to launch a new report on chatbots in HR and TA to understand what's going on there because there's so much, let's say commoditization maybe, but there's so much happening in that space and employers are asking us, hey, who's doing that? What's, you know, who's a, who's a good one to talk to? Who's, you know, what are their capabilities? And we started looking and found that 
So far, we found between 20 and 30 companies just in talent acquisition that have chatbots they're offering. So we're trying to dig into those and understand what those, those capabilities are as well. So again, just things that we're curious about, things we're hearing about from customers, things like that. And uh, that's some examples of some of the research we're working on. So I've got a global survey that I'm sort of nursing into existence. And the global survey is about adoption of intelligent technologies in HR. And we look at 20 intelligent technologies and try to figure out who's thinking about buying, who doesn't know what this stuff is, who's tried it and failed. And, and then we look at, will it replace jobs? Or do people believe it'll replace jobs? Most interesting statistic has to do with chatbots. And what we're finding is that for every chat project that's out there, there's one that, that ended in a car wreck. Um, mm. The failure rate of chatbot projects, this, and this is not, you know, sort of screening chatbots where you've got a decision tree that the, that the chatbot steps a, a candidate or a, or a benefit process through, but the, the conversational knowledge mining chatbots, 50% failure rate. And it's really interesting to, to dig in and understand why that failure rate is like that. And it generally has to do with the fact that people are not told what it takes to actually manage the, the ownership and operation of one of those things. So I'm, I'll be really excited to see what you learn. I'll be really excited to see your research. Excellent. Excellent. Yeah. So you wrote you wrote you wrote the book on AI and AI. you wrote the book. What was it like to write it, and, and how's it doing? So the book uh, has been going going very well. All the the feedback I'm getting is is very positive. Um, so far, good reviews and things on Amazon. I think we got that. that's one of the only signals I have from people I don't know that have read it. Right. But for example, I, last week I was in D.C. at an event, and someone reached out and said, "Hey, you know, I know you're in D.C. I saw you were, you know, sharing on social. They're stalkerish a little bit." But she said, "Hey, I, I'm just curious. Could you come talk to our team? Because I bought the book for everybody on our team because we're actually looking at this as the next iteration of how we're going to uh, implement HR technology. And I'd love to hear your take on it." And so I show up, and I'm, I'm hearing from these people that have that have all read the book. That her whole team of 20 HR professionals serving a global organization has read this, and so. Those kinds of insights, those kind of pieces of feedback are what I have so far. Um, I'm curious to hear you know, how it's going with the publisher, but they'll let me know in a few months, I think, what the, what the actual numbers are. But it's been an interesting process to see just how it all goes. Uh, I was telling everybody when I was writing the book, uh, it was a labor of love and more labor than love the longer that project went on, just because it was tough to put 70,000 words to paper on something. Um, but it was, uh, at the same time, something I've always wanted to do. I don't know if it was as early as my desire to get into HR that I wanted to write a book at some point, but um, it's been uh, really interesting for me to see the process, working with the publisher um, and everything else. And I've learned I've definitely learned a lot. Uh, I wanted to explore that and, and have uh, probably plumbed the depths of what I, what I could learn from them in that process. And um, I've, don't tell my wife, but I've already started thinking about the next one. So um, she, she might kill me if she heard that, but uh, I'm already thinking about the next one and uh, what it's going to be about when it's going to come out, things like that. Because it it's just so much fun for me to have a, a book. As a big reader, I love having a physical book in hand and um, being able to share that. Interesting. So I'm more interested. You, you were not an AI person when you started thinking about it. So you had to learn AI to to write the book. And that's something that people in HR have to do, right? And what I know about it, you know, I spend I spend the vast majority of my time on the topic. And my experience is 
working in that area means you're constantly faced with the fact that you don't know what you're talking about. And um, I, I'm curious about, about how you navigate that. that I think it's, they, they call that imposter syndrome, the sense that, <laughs> that, um, that you can't understand it all and that you are therefore incompetent. And it's a characteristic of dealing with a technology moving as fast as AI is. So what was that like for you to try and, to try and get concrete about how the thing works while being not a native technologist and having to deal with this thing that everybody in HR is going to have to deal with next, which is the, the sense that you're in your head with a piece of technology. So it's funny because when I was writing the book, the, the approach is very much to be a practical guide for HR leaders, business leaders, anyone that's curious about how these technologies are going to affect hiring and training and talent management and all these other types of processes that I am very familiar with. And so I wanted to write it from that perspective because I wanted the average HR leader, right, who, like you said, not very competent with the technology. That's not an indictment. It's just they don't spend all day digging into this stuff. That's not what they right. do. And so there's one chapter in the book that is solely about how the technology works, the ins and outs, a lot of the history of it, things like that, so they can really wrap their minds around it. But the very first sentence in that chapter is, this is the shortest chapter in the book because you are not a technologist, you are a business leader, and you've got to learn just enough to be able to ask questions about this, right? I know you you talk about this a lot, being able to ask questions of vendors and being able to dig into how these decisions are made and what sort of signals is this algorithm using to make this prediction. Being able to ask questions like that in a competent way, but also being able to tie it back to the really practical impacts of, at the end of the day, I'm not on the hook as an HR leader for you know the the coding language my, my algorithm's written in or things like that. I'm on the hook for how we're hiring, who we're hiring, how quickly that's happening, who we're training, how we're developing them. So those, I did my very best to, to give them that good foundation. And it's the same exact foundation that I needed when I was starting this, this process of researching the book and writing about it because I want to understand everything I could about that but also giving them the, the understanding that you are never going to be fully you know, immersed in this because this is not the world you work and live in, but you should know enough to be able to ask some questions and to push back. If you get, you get that answer, you're walking through you know, HR tech and 98% of the vendors have AI listed up there as their, their core capability, right? Again, you and I have seen that many times. Being able to push back on them a little bit and ask them some questions about how it's working, what sort of tools they're using, things like that, so they, they feel comfortable with it. And that was my end goal. And hope is that once they finish this, that chapter, that book, they'd be able to, to feel confident enough when their CEO came to them and said, hey, I've heard of this AI stuff. What does that mean for us? They'd be able to answer that question in the context of how it's going to affect their people. That's interesting. It's still, when I talk to the, to the leaders in HR who are trying to wrestle with this stuff, they all have this nagging sense that they're screwing it up because they don't understand it well enough. And so, so the, I, I want to just double down on the question, that, which is, how did you deal with that? Right? Because, because you had to experience it in the process of writing the book, and, and you have to. You, you have to have the same feeling that I do from time to time, which is that you blinked and the whole thing changed. And how are you ever going to catch up? Right? I, yeah, I was going to say, I, I sometimes measure how, much, how many things I need to catch up on by how many tabs I have open in my, in my web browser. And I have 46 open right now of things that I want to go back and read through that I've opened in the last month on things all related to AI, algorithms, bias, decision-making, like all those things that wrap around this conversation. Because I knew when that turned that manuscript into the publisher, the very next day it was outdated to some degree, right? One of the companies I mentioned could do something new. One of the companies I mentioned wasn't there anymore. 
So um, that was that's part of it. Writing a book about technology is knowing that you're going to struggle with that a little bit. So going back to your question, though, the way that I approached it is I, I, I approached, I looked at the history of it. I looked at some of the core capabilities, the technologies. I read things that are outside of our space. So not listening to HR people talking about it, but listening to technology leaders, listening to what some of the leaders in the space are doing. How does Google talk about it? How does Adobe talk about it? How do some of these other companies that are leading the AI space, I can never pronounce the name of the, the video chip company, NVIDIA, or whatever it is, like how they talk about it? Because those are some really great resources, and they're pioneering some amazing developments in that space that apply to everything, right? I just, as I'm reading it, I'm translating in my head, oh, this does this? Well, let's apply that to HR. How would this, how would this apply to matching a candidate to a job? Or how would this apply to using sentiment analysis to understand how your employees are thinking and feeling. And so as I'm reading it, I'm translating it. And I'd like to think that the book is a, just a pure translation of that kind of thing, right? looking at all these applications of different intelligent algorithms throughout the world and every single part of our personal and professional lives and translating those into some specific HR applications. So it feels very consumable for the person reading that. And they, they can t- then take that and apply it in some way like you were saying, you know, maybe they're rolling out a chatbot implementation, maybe they're thinking about some other sort of tool. They can feel confident enough to, to be able to, to do that with a little bit of, a little bit of uh, grit, I guess, um, versus feeling like they're just floundering and not sure what, what it means and, and giving up. So where do you think AI and HR is going? When I talk about the topic, uh, I present on the topic a, a lot, and um, when I talk about it, one of the things I mention always is we always think of automation as the value point. Right, but automation's been around for a long time. If I had back in my life all the hours of time that everybody promised me with all these cool apps and tools and productivity and everything, I'd be sitting on the beach somewhere. I would never do any work. But instead, we're busier than ever. We're doing more things than ever because we can scale what we can do with with some of these tools. And so I talk about automation as let's automate these low value tasks. Right? You mentioned the chat bot a minute ago using a decision tree to to move someone through the candidate process or to answer questions from an employee self service sort of perspective. Let's just automate those low value things that HR spends a lot of time on, but don't add value to the business to the bottom line. And instead, look at those higher value tasks that we that we need to be doing, and using AI tools and insights to actually augment our human abilities. Those in, those tools can help us to see see trends that we can't see with the naked eye. They'll help us to see insights and things like that. And if they can surface those at the right time, contextually, when we need them, when we're trying to make a decision, right? It's not making a decision for us. It's about giving us that insights that when it's time to make the decision, we have the most relevant and up-to-date information possible. I think those are the real value points in, in how AI is rolling out, how it's being adopted, and how it's going to impact organizations for the better. So I think, tell me if this metaphor works. I think you just said, if AI in HR is like cleaning your house, that the result of having AI in HR is going to be a cleaner house. And so I wonder, I wonder that's, that's actually not very interesting to me. I wonder if there are some things that are more like magic that you imagine happening. Like, like you start cleaning the house and you discover the secret room. <laughs> You know, you know, I don't. I've always dreamed that there'd be a secret room in my house. Um, <laughs> there, you, there's, one but, the, there's one of the ultimate software offices in downtown San Francisco. You gotta see there it. There is, and it is it is very cool. Um, I've been over the, there with a the team. Um, and I love that. 
So in the book, I, again, I try to make it very practical, not not a ton of it's forward-looking, like here's me guessing about the future because I want it to be immediately applicable. But one of the things I did talk about in there is the idea of kind of a self-developing organization. Let's say that you have an AI tool that's kind of overlaying and looking at the kind of jobs you're hiring for, the kind of skills your employees are training on, things like that. And it sees, oh, wait, look, John, you've been you've had these four or five jobs open for, for two months now. You still don't have enough qualified candidates in them or you've turned all turned down all the candidates because they're not they don't have these key qualifications. But if we look internally, we have a dozen employees that are 80 percent of the way there. There's just a 20% skills gap match. And so you, it will go in there and start training those employees without having to be told. It will start prescribing some training for those people so they can close that skills gap and then start recommending them, just pushing them into the candidate queue as a potential candidate for you to reach out to and source them just like they're an external candidate. And so I talked about some of those kinds of things in the book where I, I think AI can help us to be smarter, realize things that aren't even there. Right? Maybe that's your secret room, uh, that secret candidate internally that's a great fit for the job. You just didn't know they were there because you didn't have the insight on their skills or you didn't have the insight on how close that delta was between what they can do today and what they need to do to accomplish that job. And it's interesting because I wrote about that then and this week at the Skillsoft conference, I heard from some of their, their team, they're talking about doing things very similar to that, some of their new tools, some of the new training and things. And so it was validating and a little scary to think that some some uh, some prediction that an analyst actually made may actually come true. That doesn't doesn't usually happen. And uh, no, nah, we, we always pick fun, uh, make fun of the, the trends and everything else in the space just because it's, it's funny um, how that all works. But Anyway, that's one of the one of the examples that I wrote about that I also think is actually something that could come true and is actually closer than I thought it was going to be when I wrote about it. So, how fast? You know, HR is a roomy, fragmented space. How fast does the future arrive? How long does it take for us to be in an all AI world in HR? Goodness. All AI, that's a big question, and I don't know for sure. I will say that the larger the organizations are, the more likely they are to be implementing these tools, adopting some of these tools, because they stand to gain more. It logically makes sense. If you have 300,000 employees, you're going to get more out of something that's automating and giving you intelligence, not just because you have more data for the system to consume and get smarter as an algorithm, but also just because there's more manual stuff to be done with an organization that big. The smaller the organization goes, though, the smaller it gets, the less likely you are to benefit as much from one of those, the less likely you are to be able to afford one of those things. And so I, I actually believe that at some point in the future, I don't know how, how close it's going to be, some of the tools, at least on the lower end, are going to be become kind of commoditized. We'll see you know, maybe the chatbots, for example, some of those tools that are doing basic functionality. It's going to become very inexpensive to, to grab one of those and to implement it. And even if it doesn't, you know, revolutionize how your HR practice, how your how your talent acquisition practice is running. I see those sorts of things being being able to feed into that more quickly and more easily. I, again, I don't have like a really quick and simple pat answer for that one, but it's a good one. I love talking about it. I love talking to HR leaders about how far how far into the process they are, where they're going. And again, the, you talked about a minute ago, the research you're doing, you're getting some insights into that because that was one of the struggles I had when I started the book. I went back and forth on doing an actual survey to examine this. And the problem was I went through and I was reading all the surveys that I found in the market at the time, you know, two years ago, and they were all over the place. You know, we did, we did one asking TA leaders about AI as a priority. It, it was dead last in their terms of priorities. But then you look at a separate survey and 80% of TA leaders say they're going to have AI in the next five years. And the problem was, what I found out after digging into this, interviewing a ton of executives, is that they didn't exactly know what that meant. 
They weren't sure. If some vendor told them what it was, they, they, they kind of took them as their word. But they didn't know what AI was, and they still are not 100% clear on it. So that's, again, why, I, why you and I are doing the good work, right? going out, teaching what it is, giving some insight on that so that they can understand, oh, yeah, you know what? We're not even doing that stuff. We're not interested in doing that stuff. Or, oh, we've already started that. I didn't realize we'd already started that, and we're using some machine learning in, in the process already. And so that's uh, the biggest problem I found was that people in the audience weren't clear on that. And so a lot of the survey data that I saw coming in you know, a couple years ago was very muddy, and I didn't trust it very much. Um, and so I didn't even do a survey myself on the topic. I just used a lot of use cases and stories and examples of what was already happening to illustrate it because those companies were getting a benefit, even if they didn't know whether it was AI or not. So I have this, I have a different, a different view, and, and the view is something like, it took the iPhone years to go from nowhere to everywhere, and um, AI is roughly a steroid-enhanced iPhone doesn't have a physical form. And so it comes into the organization. Do you ever have ivy on the outside of your house that grows into the house? It's an amazing Not thing. Not in Alabama, but that would be kudzu probably, right? Kudzu, kudzu, yeah, kudzu something like that. that. <laughs> Little shop of horrors comes to mind. The plant takes over the, 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 the inside of the space. I think, I think AI works like that. So when I sit down... Um, I was I was doing some research about resume development recently, and so I decided to make a resume with Microsoft Word. And mm-hmm. as I started, Microsoft Word said, "Oh, it looks like your resume. Would you like some help?" And so, so that's on every desktop in the world. Yeah. <laughs> and so, there's AI already in every little tiny organization everywhere, like some plant growing in the house or some iPhone that doesn't have a shape that just comes in and it's the new thing. And so, so I think it happens pretty quickly. Anyhow, do you think HR practitioners should be concerned about keeping their jobs? One of the books, uh, one of the jokes I made in the book is if you, if you think you're really great at data analysis isn't that, and that's the only thing that you have to offer, then you probably need to get another skill pretty quick because the algorithms and other tools are much better than us at certain things like data analysis. Um, for example. And what I think is there are going to be some jobs for sure that are going to be minimized or eliminated totally. Um, For example, if you have a big recruiting team and you have someone that's dedicated to scheduling and that's their entire job, the bots can do those things right now already. They can handle that scheduling setup and everything else, and they can handle it more quickly than you can. They can respond to candidates more quickly. It's more consistent. And so I think some of those types of things are going to absolutely go away. That does mean, though, that for those jobs that are left behind, you know, going through the, the furnace and being refined, right, like steel, or iron, I guess, um, when you're the thing that comes out the other end is going to focus more on those human skills of work, the service-oriented things, the creativity, the curiosity, the things that we can't program a computer to do. Those things are going to become more important once we come, come out of this other side of uh, the automation wave, as I like to call it. That's interesting. That's interesting. I, I hear- I hear a lot of that sort of thinking, and you know, half the time what I do is just take the contrarian point of view. And so I wonder if there aren't some pretty important hard skills out there that are difficult to understand currently, but are the actual things that you need to have as opposed to a universe of people. It's it's weird to think that the future of HR is continuing to be spilled when everything else is getting business oriented. So it's a weird, it's a weird forecast that that's pretty broadly uh, uh, accepted as the truth. 
Yeah, I would say there is there is some research, I believe, from McKinsey that says if you want to look at more hard skills, the things they look at are non-routine manual work, things that require more discretion, uh, those types of things, the, the jobs that are less routine in nature will absolutely be somewhat shielded from the automation, the AI, those things that are creeping in, the, the IV example you gave. The more or the less routine it is, the more likely it will be shielded from that. But even if you're doing something Again, relatively high level, right? I'm, I'm analyzing data, looking for trends and patterns, trying to identify you know, and, and um, understand these hypotheses. Like that is something that you'd have a data scientist doing. But you and I have talked to companies that have tools that will automate most of those, that analysis already. And it just requires, instead of a team of people to do that analysis, it requires one person to step in and say, okay, we're going to translate this and give you some actual practical takeaways for how you need to take action on this next. And even that might be automated at some point. So uh, it comes to mind, we always think of robotics taking over like an assembly line or blue collar type work. But J.P. Morgan Chase automated 360,000 hours that their attorneys and finance people were doing on contract management, contract reviews, things like that, and replaced a team of dozens of attorneys with a handful of attorneys and an AI-enabled database. So it's not just the jobs that are we always picture in our head like, oh, automation. Yeah, those guys are out of luck. You know, someone building a widget on an assembly line, that guy's, you know, in, in trouble. Now, it's other jobs as well if they are very routine in nature. So you see job loss coming. I think that there will be job losses for sure, but I also think there are going to be new ones. There are going to be ones that we can't even forecast. And actually, I was I'm talking to a group of uh, TA leaders last week in D.C. and was one of them said, hey, you know, do that, do that uh, analyst thing, prognosticate a little bit. What do you think is going to come in the future in terms of new types of jobs? And so I was talking about examples like having someone that their sole job is to design an employee uh, candidate experience, for example, on the TA side, right? We have people unlearning their learning experience designers. They develop learning experience journeys for people and try to craft this journey that engages the learner throughout the process. Why wouldn't we have that on the candidate side as well? Someone that's their whole job is thinking about ways to connect someone into that, make them stay in that, make them excited about it. Just like we have, you know, developers at, at Facebook trying to figure out how they can keep us on the platform for 10 more seconds a day, 30 more seconds to see one more ad. Like for them, that's not a that's not valuable for us. But from a candidate experience journey, like let's keep them connected into this journey. Let's keep them excited about coming here. Let's make this a process they want to go through so they'll want to join us. So I think there will be other jobs that change and shift and are created that we can't even forecast yet. Fantastic. So we have blown through our half hour and haven't even gotten close to all the things we might have talked about. We should do this again. Absolutely. So thanks for, thanks for taking the time. Is there any single thing you want a listener to take away from the call? Like buy the book and what's it called? <laughs> the book is Artificial Intelligence for HR. It's a hard title to remember. It is on Amazon, Books Million, everywhere fine books are sold. I um, would love to have someone read it and also just reach out. Let me know what you think of it. Um, again, getting good feedback. A lot of people enjoying the book and looking for ways to apply it. And so I'd absolutely love for someone to, to check it out. But just as a takeaway, AI is coming, right? It's already here in some cases. Don't wait. Don't wait to see what this means. Don't wait to see what it means for your organization. HR is ideally suited of all the people in the organization to have conversations about this because we know the skills that we have in the organization. We know who's at risk for automation. And we can lead that conversation versus waiting for someone else to come to us. Fantastic. So please reintroduce yourself. Tell people how they might get a hold of you. I am Ben Eubanks, Principal Analyst at Lighthouse Research. So glad to have been here today with you, John. And if someone wants to reach me, they can get me Ben Eubanks on LinkedIn, at Ben Eubanks on Twitter. Website is 
lhra.io. Thanks, Ben. It's been a real treat. I appreciate you taking the time to do this. And thanks, everybody, for listening in. You've been listening to HR Examiner Executive Conversations, and we've been talking with Ben Eubanks, who is the Principal Analyst at Lighthouse Research. Thanks, and we will see you back here next week, same time. Bye-bye now. Mm-hmm.